Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wannabe Entrepreneur, the podcast about what's really like to bootstrap a company. And today I have here Sean Fisher. Hey Sean, welcome to the show. Hey Diego, thanks for having me. I will uh, be speaking with Sean about uh, Aero Farms, which is a super exciting uh, product in the agrotech that basically allows you to grow your own veggies in your kitchen. So it's kind of a fridge and the product is still, they are still developing the product, but it, it sounds super promising. And this idea of being able to grow your veggies, fruits, I don't know, we'll learn about that. Just, you know, in, in the next door or, or in your kitchen, your basement sounds super, super exciting. And it's really great also for sustainability. It uh, cuts down on a lot of uh, fuel, a lot of uh, energy, and uh, we all know, and you also know, the listener, that uh, I'm very passionate about climate change. I, I built a climate change app called Change It, and I'm always super excited to speak with uh, other founders that uh, are trying to do something about it, that try to help the world to become more sustainable. So today we'll be talking about Sean, and uh, Sean is also building this company with his wife Amy and we'll be talking about the full journey how it's going and I'm super excited to to learn more and uh, I will start by asking you Sean to give a little introduction about yourself and uh, about uh, kind of how your life brought you to to become an entrepreneur and how you first started uh, Aerofarms. My background is in um, electrical engineering technology and uh, I've oh, worked cool. in the yeah and I've worked in the power utility sector for quite some time, for over 10 years. Um, and uh, how I got, so that's not really anything to do with agriculture at all, or farming or anything like that. I had no experience in any of that stuff before we started this venture. Uh, but uh, yeah, in, in 2015, um, I read a book um, about a telepathic gorilla who befriended a six-year-old girl, and they had chats about human culture. <laughs> what? Yeah, fiction, it's fiction a, book. I, I it's called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Okay. But uh, so the gorilla was talking about the takers and the leavers, like, and he was talking about ancient human uh, society of hunter gatherers, and when they figured out agriculture. So he was talking about like leavers, as in you know ones who just worked out the land and moved around, and then other ones who stayed in one place learned how to grow their own things and become centralized and started to actually settle down sort of thing and how much has changed since that point. But I, I read that in the book and uh, like just the takers and leavers paragraph, I, I just sort of wandered around in the house, just sort of thinking about agriculture and, and what that looks like today. And, and like I wandered into my kitchen and I looked around and, and I just realized like, I don't know anything about any of the food in here yeah. beyond the label. I don't know like where it came from, what happened yeah. to it, where it was grown, like uh, nothing, what, what's on it. And, you know, I kind of just like had a moment where it was just like, this is crazy. This is fucked. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so from then on, I, I had a really uh, keen focus on, all the processes that bring us our food in particular. And that ended up branching out to just all of human effort that has been uh, sort of fueling climate change and how we can reimagine all those systems to be sustainable in the form of the basic needs sort of thing. So I started with food and then I'm also concerned about artifact production 
and energy production as well as the sort of three climate change areas that I have a big focus on now. But right. first and foremost is food. So I, I'd really mm-hmm. like to see how we can make mm-hmm. a better food system that doesn't harm the environment and gives us a healthier product. Right. So when I when I started building Changeit, I also started realizing the impact of our actions. And uh, before Changeit, you know, the things I knew was like turn off the lights, or uh, I don't know, like don't spend too much water in the shower. But then I really realized that the things that really impact climate change and 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 the kind of damage the environment are food related and of course tr- transportation related, mm-hmm. and especially eating uh, eating meat um, or beef has a huge impact uh, on the and the CO2 that we produce. And uh, yeah, as well, even like veggies and all of that, it's uh, the transportation especially and, and the practices that uh, a lot of farmers put nowadays into how they produce our food uh, can really damage our, our environment. And my question there is, so did you, and I, I also, by the way, totally connect with that, like with the fact that we don't know anything about our food, like this lettuce yeah. grow in the supermarkets, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like a lot of people don't know, like is, where is lettuce coming from, for instance? Yeah. So did you like this realization, like were you already um, worried about climate change? Was it something already in your mind when you first realized it? Or did you just like add this epiphany when you looked at your fridge like, yeah, I don't know anything about my tomatoes. And then you kind of start learning the impact of 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 the of the food production on climate afterwards. Yeah, it's it it all started with that epiphany. Yeah, back then, about seven years ago, sort of thing. Like, and then I found myself walking through Costco, and I'm from Newfoundland, Canada, where the furthest easterly point in in Canada, out here in the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I'm, like in Costco, and now I'm starting to like look at labels and stuff, and I look at a bag of broccoli. And mm. it's this product of Mexico. Yeah, yeah. And and Mexico is about 5,000 kilometers from where I am. Mm. So, it, you know, it got me thinking about all the processes, all the economies of scale. Yeah. How are the farmers? You know, that led me into mm. figuring out they had to clear all the land, scrape away all the biodiversity, cover it in petrochemicals, start growing their stuff, cover it in herbicides, pesticides, process everything, package everything, refrigerate everything, transport everything. And then 40% of all that we grow is thrown away at the end of the process. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I started to, to learn what that entire process was that brings the food to our grocery stores. And I realized like we have absolutely no control over, over it as consumers. Mm-hmm. And it's quite harmful when you look at the giant picture of it. And if we're throwing away that much food, to me, that's evidence that that system just doesn't work. Yeah, definitely. And it's a pity that we don't know, know or learn about this in schools. I don't know about in Canada, but like here, we just don't know. We it's we are we we have it as a given, you know. Like okay, you go to the supermarket and it's there, like, and you have no idea where it came from. Uh, and it's crazy that we don't learn about it, right? Absolutely, and it's something so essential as food. So exactly. to me, yeah. to me, it it made the most sense that. Food should be grown at the home where it's to be eaten at the point of consumption. And right. if it was, you would just be, if you could achieve a method of doing that, you could circumnavigate the entire global supply chain and start to reduce demand on those methods of food production. And hopefully we can convert to a more sustainable system. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, makes total sense. And, uh, it's interesting when you mention about checking the labels. This is actually on, on change it. I also give this 
um, tip to people. Just start checking, checking the labels of the ingredients you're buying and start buying more local, you know, like try to buy from things that came um, closer to you. And then I started doing that. And, and I didn't even know that actually when I went to the supermarket, I could know where the products were coming from. I never checked uh, the labels for that. Yeah, and Then absolutely. I started realizing that, wait, what is this? Like this banana is coming, I don't know, from uh, maybe Africa or, or like kiwi coming from New Zealand. And you said, whoa, this is traveling all around the world just to come here. And it's funny also to see because there's seasons, right? Like uh, a tomato doesn't grow in Portugal are all year long, right? So there's specific times in the year when it grows, but we always have tomatoes available yeah. in our supermarket. So I, it's funny, if you if you check the labels, you start seeing that suddenly you have like tomatoes coming from Portugal, Spain, and then suddenly it changes to like Italy, and then suddenly it changes, I don't know, to some other, some other places. So it gets further and further away. Uh, so yeah, th all of this information is super interesting. It's, a, it's an astonishing feat to be able to produce basically all the common goods at all times of the year through yeah, a complex yeah, network yeah. of global supply chains. But to me, I'm just like, why are we doing it that way? <laughs> and, yeah. and I feel like food security is going to have to start on the smallest scale of society. And so to me, I'm really focused on the dwelling. So I think, I think modern dwellings should be able to provide the production of all the basic needs within it. Mm. And that's sort of kind of where I started modeling this unique solution there yeah. that we have now that turned into air. And you know what, what I find really interesting, Sean, is that you, um, you find this problem and, and it's a huge challenge. Like it's super hard to solve. And then you think to yourself, you know what? I can solve this. You know, I'm an <laughs> electric engineer. I can do this. And that shows an, a, an impressive um, entrepreneur mindset. So my question to you is that, is it the first time that you are actually being an entrepreneur? Is it the first time you have this urge to actually being an entrepreneur? Or do you have like other experiences in the, in the past that are somehow related to this entrepreneurship spirit? Uh, this was probably my first major entrepreneurial journey, for sure. Uh, my wife and I, um, we DJed in the past, so we've done a bit of that stuff. And uh, we've had <laughs> cool. like a music, yeah, we've had a music blog before, uh, Remix 86, which is still active, but I'm not working on it right now. So okay. that's kind of the thing. We, we like creative stuff like that. But this was the first like, uh, kind of like problem that, like, like you just said, you know, I can solve this. For some reason, yeah, I found that mentality that, I just felt that I can solve this problem sort of thing. So mm. yeah, I started working on it on the side in whatever time I can find while working full time. So it's been taking a long time and we've had a lot of life events happening between yeah. that too. But how did you come up with the idea and decided to start working on this? How, how did this go also with, with your wife? I came to the realization that I thought that food production has to occur at the point of consumption. So i started thinking, what would a system like that look like? So, and Amy's really good at uh, like consumer experience. She has marketing and business background. And so we know that, you know, great change is not going to, like people are going to want to use this product for certain values. So no matter how great your idea, it has to be adoptable and scalable. Mm -hmm. So in 2015, I started focusing on the food system and then we came together and really, you know, it, that's what we were working on all these years. How do we refine the system in a way that it will just become, 
you know, a, a common fixture in, in a, uh, and that's why we ended up going with an appliance. So right. in 2015, it started with like a Tupperware bin with misters and, and lights and stuff like that. It looked like a Frankenstein kind of like yeah. uh, amalgamation of parts and lights and stuff like that. <laughs> so, but that's where it all began. It was just product refinement, uh, talking to customers and people with problems with access to food. And just refining and refining and refining the system until, yeah, we, we got something that we finally been able to achieve the amount of variety that you need in a congested space and the amount of yield to be able to grow it at home. So that's what hasn't occurred yet because everybody's been focusing on like leafy greens and the, e- the easy stuff to grow. You didn't know anything about agriculture before, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I guess Amy didn't know either. Uh, nope, nope. So, so, but she knows value. What, what what does that mean for technologies like this that are going to be sustainable for the future? They need to have value for people to pick them up. Value in time or cost or effort or quality, some some major perceptible, tangible benefit sort of thing. So, shaping new technologies in this framework here, um, that's the way we want to go about it to make sure that you know we can help the planet and actually people mm-hmm. will adopt it and you know it'll be a better system that we can leave yeah. the old one behind yeah. did you try like start doing uh like growing your own veggies was it something that you're already doing in your backyard no i i just started with the alternative technologies right away so um okay. land use land use is one of the biggest problems of uh, climate change so i i started from the get-go that we should be growing our food crops indoors without soil um i i it, thought that why? We, that's interesting like did you like read a lot about it uh how did you come with that to, to that realization yeah i i started researching it all i came across the alternative methods like aquaponics hydroponics and aeroponics because nasa invented aeroponics back in the 1980s and aquaponics is interesting because it's it's uh growing plants that sort of hang over a fish tank and the fish uh will sort of feed the plants sort of thing but that's a you know what complicated yeah the, it, the fish will feed the plants yeah that's right you you got to feed the fish but their excrement will feed, will ah. provide the nitrogen that will then be pumped up and feed the plants so it's a it's an organic way to provide the fertilizer input to okay. plants okay yeah And that's aquaponics. Aquaponics, yeah, that's right. So that involves, yeah, that's fish and planting. And they're gorgeous systems, but I, and I'm, I'm trying to focus on a smaller scale, something adoptable, something that could fit in a house. And I didn't think a fish tank would be maintainable and practical in that scenario. Mm-hmm. So then I looked at hydroponics, and that involves having a water reservoir and a nutrient reservoir. And the plant's roots suspend in that water at all times, and you just pump the water through and they grow in that. Uh. But then I found about aeroponics. So hydroponics uses typically up to 70% less water than soil farming. Aeroponics uses up to 95, 98% less water than soil farming. That is crazy. 95. It's it's wild. So to me with this climate change, sustainable stuff, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, this is the Buckminster Fuller route. Like, what can we get the most out of using the least amount of resources? And with aeroponics, You have the roots suspended in a root chamber, and then a super fine mist of water and nutrient is just sprayed in the roots every four minutes for, say, four seconds. So okay. this creates a 100% humidity environment where the roots 
just you you got to see them it's wild they they end up yeah, making the, the most now. yeah you you'll end up seeing these root balls that are just like really fine root hairs and really dense and what oh, it yeah, is is the plants it. the plants are making as much surface area as they can and where the mist is so fine they have crazy nutrient uptake and they grow very very fast so it's it's like they are growing on 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 air right they they're not That's right yep cool. just in a dark chamber yep just in a dark chamber And not only does aeroponics use up to 98% less water, but um, it grows food up to three times faster than soil. Really? Yeah. So you can see these features that are wild in these alternative growing technologies. And, and that's why I, I was convinced we had to get away from soil because using these controlled environments, we can really boost the growth. And that's because yeah. we, we have, that's how we have to get the yield. We have to find a way to be, constantly having our supply of food at all times so that we can be self-sufficient in as much as we can. Right, right. So you immediately because it's funny you spoke about aquaponics, hydroponics, aeroponics. You didn't speak about anything soil related, right? No, that's right. Yeah. So you immediately thought, okay, soil is a thing of the past. Right? We we should be growing. Is there any uh, disadvantage or or any advantage that only the soil can bring that all of these techniques don't? So the research is uh, still um, early, I believe, but there is something to say about like the fungi and the, and the right. bacterial uh, entities of the soil. Um, and if you look at some Paul Stamets videos and things like that, he describes, you know, mushrooms and fungi as like the internet of the forest sort of thing. Right. And, yeah, you yeah. know, it, it's responsible for nutrient transmission and, and even communication between different species and things like that. Um, so I view it as, you know, the soil is, you know, there's all this complex life in soil and soil is beautiful. And I think all this fungi and all these different bacterial elements are moving nutrients and giving it to the plant in the open wild system. Right. And I feel that if you can just still organically and effectively provide all the nutrients that I, I think you can replace The use of soil okay. and you're not really missing out on anything now the research could come out and say there's something super vital in in soil that plants absolutely need but people have been using aeroponics to grow things for 50 years and plants thrive already yeah wow uh well sorry 40 years 40 years okay. now yeah so and the plants like they they grow crazy they love it they uptake it they just grow really really quickly And another reason why I think that the home is the ideal farming environment is because that's where humans are and they're in there breathing out carbon dioxide. Right. And, and plants use that to build their mass. So if you had something in the kitchen here, the plants are sucking up all that CO2. There's on average twice as much CO2 in a home than there is outdoors. So the plants are getting a, a boost there. They're getting a boost from the aeroponics. They're getting the nutrient uptake like crazy. And we've also got some special lighting that, They're just blasted with photons during right. their whole stage of growth. And you end up with like a supercharged growth system. <laughs> It's so cool. How did you learn all of this? Like, did you read? Did you just like research on the internet? What was your learning yeah. process? Yeah, I just researched. I watched videos and forums uh, with this alternative growing stuff. Most of the information comes from cannabis forums. So, mm -hmm. and these, these guys have been building hydroponic and aeroponic systems for decades So, and recently, uh, cannabis became legal in Canada. So ah. we're getting all that underground information and talent coming, coming to the tech <laughs> cool. world now, right? 
So, yeah. but that's where the information I found, you, I find still a, a very hard to find a lot of great information on aeroponics and hydroponics for, for major food production. And really there's nothing on things beyond leafy greens and herbs, um, you know, until we have our product released there, because we've been focusing on root vegetables and onions and broccoli, nutrient dense items. And, and interesting what you just said about uh, cannabis. So I guess when uh, weed was not legal, when in many countries still isn't, people had to find ways to still grow weed without being noticed, right? So they, yeah. they, they couldn't just like farm it outside in the field. So do you think that's why they started exploring these other techniques of agriculture? I believe so. Yeah, big time. And 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 plus, they 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 found out right away that they could just get a lot more grams per watt and per effort out of ah, these systems. Yeah. They just performed much better than soil. So, yeah. Okay, makes sense. And before before we start uh, actually learning from the journey um, of uh, building air farms, I have still one more question for you um, related mm -hmm. to sustainability. So, I guess the biggest issue, and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, for for our climate nowadays, uh, with the current way of our current way of farming, is uh, first of all the the waste, right? So that we lose a lot in in the transportation, um, and also the fuel that we use uh, in, the, in the transportation for sure. So that with your product, this would be fixed, right? So uh, you know people won't waste as much because they know that it's coming from their own uh, kitchen. So even if it's kind of what they call the ugly fruit, you know, it doesn't look good, but they know it's good because it came from, from their own kitchen. Uh, and of course, there's no transportation. Uh, well, you still, I guess, need the ingredients or, or some kind of uh, the seeds, but that, that's completely fine. Uh, yeah. But there's maybe more or they can be a little bit less efficient in terms of energy, right? And, and if your uh, mix of energy still uses fuel, then it can still damage the environment whereas in these bigger farms maybe they can have it a little bit more um, industrialized and they can save more energy on i don't know maybe i'm wrong so what do you think about this energy production can can it actually do the more damage than good uh, your solution to the environment uh, i don't feel so we, our unit here has 68 crop spots and uses uh, less than 150 watts so here in Canada, okay. that ends up being roughly $8 a month sort of thing in electricity costs. And um, our methods actually, when you're growing from seeds and you don't That's have crazy. to use the global supply chain, it's actually cheaper to grow this method. And you can pay off the unit within five years. But it, I think the scale of the amount of systems that you're avoiding by growing food at the point of consumption far outweighs the detriment of people still using dirty electricity at their homes, if that's what you mean. Yeah. So we're avoiding all these intensive systems, carbon intensive systems, all these engines, all the processing. Uh, nothing has to be wrapped in plastic anymore. You avoid all the packaging. Yeah, you avoid all the pr preservation and transportation. So, yeah, because typically um, the, the average age of an apple in a grocery store is 12 months. Wait, I, I, you lost me there. 12 months so like one apple can be in one store for 12 months yeah and we figured out wild methods for preserving things that uh, yeah it ends up because we want food to accommodate the global supply chain system right. so there's a lot of items that are a lot longer like now an apple is something that can be preserved uh you know pretty good but you know the uh, for things like carrots they could be nine months old potatoes up to 12 months old 
tomatoes can be up to two months old and all this like spinach and lettuce and leafies can be a month old by the time you can actually purchase it. But but why? Because normally naturally they cannot last that long, right? So it's because we are putting some kind of uh, additives that will preserve these uh, veggies, right? That's right. All kinds of preservation methods and refrigeration methods that mm -hmm. delays the process. Sometimes they ship things that are filled with certain gases that uh, stave wow. off. And apples are coated to stave off oxidization. So there's all these methods, right? And nutrient degradation happens the moment the plant is, is cut from the ground. Yeah. So they're so, not healthy. Maybe the, our veggies are not healthy, actually, right? Well, we're losing a lot of nutrient content. That That is degrading the moment it's gone. So, I, you know, I think, you know, it, it could be half as much nutrients left in the stuff that we can buy in the store. But if we were growing it in the kitchen, where from firm to fork would be 10 feet, you're yeah. literally cutting it and it's, it's living and putting it's it on dream. your plate. Yeah. So it's that's amazing. the way that's the way food should be. And then your family is like, watching the food grow from seed to harvest yeah, every so day fun. right yeah. as you say this this kind of sounds like science fiction for me it doesn't <laughs> sound possible so it, it looks wild too and, it, and our root definitely. chamber is accessible so you know we we've we've grown beautiful potato plants and then we had some hardware issues and i had to rebuild the unit and that's where i'm at now but we have an accessible root chamber where so you got potato plants growing and you'll be able to cut the potatoes out of the root mass and just leave the plant to continue to grow. Wow. And, and you amazing. can grow more potato plants from potatoes, right? So yeah. you might not have to buy potatoes anymore. Wow. And yeah, so that you're harvesting everything as it's growing. So like kale, you're cutting off a couple leaves at a time, but you're getting more edible mass for a lot of items mm -hmm. because your means of storage is a fridge-looking-like device that's also your means of production. How much time does it take, though, for... Because, you know, in today's world where people are so busy, um, one of the reasons why supermarkets exi exist is just you just go there, you buy it, that's it. Uh, it seems that what you're saying, you know, harvesting, cutting, making sure everything is working fine, planting might take a lot of time and some people might not be uh, willing to do that. So how much time do you actually have to spend to, to have those beautiful potatoes in your kitchen? Yeah, so we convenience has been like the, one of the major factors of it. So we're employing everything we can to make the whole process as easy as possible. So the smartphone app will, con once you put in your diet, it'll tell you when and where to plant everything. Um, the full uh, market unit, um, we want to have auto-dosing nutrients and hooked up to water supply and drain, just like a dishwasher so that it just fills the nutrient, uh, everything automatically. So we want to take away all the effort as much as possible, have cameras in the unit that can take pictures of it. You can check in on your plants whenever you need. It'll give you all the status of humidity and light level and energy and all that stuff. Okay. Tell you when things are ready. So it should be reduced to, you know, just simple trimming, planting seeds and harvesting, and we are making it so children or elderly can use it. Okay. And it shouldn't be very much time. Just, yeah, if you're trimming stuff a couple minutes a day, possibly, and then just planting seeds as required. So I'd say it's roughly 10 minutes a day sort of thing. So faster than going to the supermarket and trying to <laughs> find everything and buying. Yeah. And you can eat it right away. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, we sort of, the process of going to the grocery store, I think is sort of invisible to us now that we don't really think about it, but we still have to go there, pick something up wash yeah. it off when we get yeah. home, remove the plastic from it sort of thing. But yeah, otherwise we can just have it's it grown consuming. ready. Yeah. It is yeah. big time, yeah. Okay, so let's learn a little bit about the, the journey. You 
you found out about this and you started researching and uh, you pitched this idea to Amy. She also got excited. Um, but from that to a, a working prototype with an app and everything, that, that's, that's a huge step, right? So tell me how did it go? Like, what, what, how did you first start like, this process of building such a, such a device? Yeah, it uh, has been a very long uh, journey for sure. So after my initial interest in it, uh, yeah, I got super hooked on it and just spent a lot of my spare time researching what a system could look like. Um, I researched entrepreneurialism. Um, I did a, um, a, a business course here at our local university for like it's sort of like a accelerator type style thing. And learned a lot about, you know, value proposition and things like that and, and how to build the business and how to make it actually work and succeed because it is rare for a business to do so. And I, I felt like this idea was important enough that it should. So, yeah, I, I ended up, I was, I was building that as much as I could in my spare time. Uh, yeah, and, it, and it's just, a, you know, building hardware is definitely super hard. And uh, when you're doing it yourself and just like building in the basement, uh, it takes a long time. So yeah. you, we, we've had personal capital and just doing everything on our own. We, we can't really hire anybody. And, you know, if you get investments, that's like rocket fuel sort of thing that you can like hire people to get going. But we just stuck it to ourselves and, uh, and we also didn't want to share our, uh, patentable designs yet because we think we have something that's, you know, really different and could cause a lot of change. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I'm just used to kind of working by myself and stuff like that. Me and Amy kind of, we're, we're a good team. So, yeah, we just set out to build it and stuff like that. I did all the hardware and the design and the technical aspect of all that stuff. Uh, working on the side and, yeah, life events and stuff happen. So you struggle through. Uh, I lost both of my parents uh, in that amount mm -hmm. of time. And, and just last month, Amy lost her father, too. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, we've just had a, a lot of struggles, but we, yeah. you know, we were always able to kind of keep focus and kind of just keep doing some things with it, keep it moving sort of thing. Right. And yeah, just, yeah, keep believing in it and just struggling through. <laughs> so, and uh, what, what is your, um, yeah, I know that you recently quit your, quit your uh, job to focus full time into Aero Farms, but you told me also that Amy is still working. Um, what are your full-time jobs? What, what are you doing? Yeah, I was in the power utility sector here, uh, just working with like um, electricity distribution systems and things like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and Amy, she was she's has experience in startup industry here in, in Newfoundland. She was at a, a tech startup before that did smart thermostats, and now she's at a financial startup uh, based in Toronto called Float. Okay. Um, so cool. yeah, she's uh, yeah working on that and. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of our background, but still, we're we're always kind of thinking about about value and food systems and yeah. this product on the side, sort of thing, right? So, kind of just trying to do it all. <laughs> yeah, because that's what I was wondering. I mean, uh, it's such a complex, and it seems completely overwhelming to do that without having actually any investment. This is the kind of idea I would say that you cannot bootstrap; that you need to get some investment. But the fact that you're doing that, it's really really inspiring and. Uh, With demanding jobs, so how much time are, were you actually putting into building this prototype per day? Were you like get home and then work on it? Weekends, would you work on it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just whenever you find time, you pick away at it. It could be a half hour here, four hours there, sort of thing. And just yeah, it, whenever you can find the time, just keep putting something in on it, like every week. Right. And yeah, I found as long as you're not long stints without doing anything. 
I could always keep the ball rolling sort of thing. Mm. And eventually um, we got a 3D printer and that like really uh, expanded my prototyping abilities and just manufacturing capabilities from my basement. So I became a lot more capable with stuff like that, especially particularly building a hardware product because now I can just design something from thin air, print it, hold it in my hand, make modifications and really yeah, you know make that's yeah, yeah it's it's a wild world and and you know everything's available on the internet and i feel like capability nowadays is wild that yeah yeah you can almost it feels like you can do anything sort of thing so i feel like any solution can come from anywhere these days you know for as a software developer um for for me it seems completely absurd that someone can just create uh, such a prototype from their basement. But yes, now with these uh, 3D printers, it seems that kind of open up a whole new world for makers. Yeah. And I, I'm, I would love also to learn more about it. It, it. it sounds super, super cool. And yeah, so would you say, or I guess, let me rephrase that. There was how much time on your weekends or like, did you notice along the way of building this prototype that you were missing out on uh, on maybe family or, or friends or time even to be with each other just to be building this product? What were the sacrifices? I, I found that I find there's a big in startup culture is very popular to be like super, super hustle sort of thing, right? Like yeah. grind set, grind set mindset sort of thing. Um, but yeah, like, you know, me and Amy have been through a lot. My mother died of alcoholism, my father from multiple sclerosis and her father from, uh, uh, multiple systems atrophy and Lewy body dementia. So we had a lot of crisis. So like it's, it was, I found it always important to make time for family. Uh, sometimes, you know, you're forced into situations where, yeah, there's crisis situations you got to respond to. You know, you got to try to take care of yourself as much as you can. Um, so, you know, always find time for self, you know, maintenance, like exercise and try to get good sleep yeah. and things like that. So, but that's probably another reason why it's been taking us so long. But uh, yeah, I, I think that is important to, to have the endurance to get through the whole journey because mm-hmm. it's it's a crazy hard task to just build a business and a hardware business from scratch. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, that's been the style that we went through just valuing, always having carving out family time, you know, while doing as much as you can sort of yeah. thing. So you were able to keep the patience. Yeah. 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 I'm not a proponent of just like working 10, 12 hours a day. Like, you know, I, I think like, enjoy your time, you know, recharge your mind, get, give yourself some space. Right. And then right. I find creativity right. flows a lot better that way. Mm-hmm. And this product is such a design challenge. Like I wish I could show pictures of it now because like the configuration of it inside is just crazy with how it's arranged. But all that is like out of the, you know, you really got to think of some kind of different system and how each stage of the process happens at each point And you need space yeah. in your mind to be able to get through all that. So it's important. Yeah. Take care of yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally, I, I envy you for being able to do that. Uh, because you know when you are building such an interesting thing uh, it's in your basement every day gaining shape i it would be really hard for me uh not to just throw myself into it full time and um and i really admire the fact that you are able to do that to like okay let's do this and keep a consistent pace uh but let's not deliver too much let's also take time for ourselves and and for our families so that's uh, that's really great 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of that for sure. Mm -hmm. How much money did you invest uh, so far into, into this prototyping? Yeah. So we're pre-revenue. So we're just building stuff and spending personal capital. So it took me, uh, it took me about $10,000 to build the first and second versions of the prototype. And probably since then I've spent another five grand. So prototyping, one thing about prototyping in your basement is it's, uh, it's pretty expensive because you're ordering all the parts individually, you know, from Amazon and from, you know, you're never getting a distributor or manufacturer deal on anything. You're buying it all at the end of retail price sort of thing. So it is expensive to do this, but you, you are small and nimble and you can, you know, if you can carve off a bit of capital to just get yourself through the next step. Yeah, it, uh, it honest, is pretty I think good. It's quite cheap. 15K only to build. You said that your prototype is already uh, working. You already yeah. like, have eaten food from it's, it. So 15K, it, yeah. I think it's super cheap for five years. It's not, a, it's not actually super. Um, it's mostly the arrangement of the system is the most special thing about it. But like an aeroponic system is just simple tubes, a, a pump, a tank, a water reservoir. And it's just like a sealed root chamber with an outer casing. So the hardware product itself is not... Well, and I got a Raspberry Pi for the control and automation of right. it as well. So, and all these are fairly cheap items. And then once I get to manufacturing stage, I hope to reduce those costs heavily and to get to product market sort of thing, right? Right. But yeah, it's not the is is mostly time investment because um, really on how it's going to be used, like just like an appliance, and how you know it's actually going to provide that yield without the effort. One thing. Um that it comes to my mind now as well, and a little bit connected to the to what we just talked about with being consistent, right? So another problem of being consistent and, and taking time for me is uh, losing the motivation, right? Especially, as you mentioned, you went through um, a lot of challenges uh, in, the, in the past years, uh, personal challenges. How did you gain the strength to, you know, deal with this and then go back and go back to the same uh, problem, the same challenge, and keep on and k- just keep on working on it. Like I think a lot of people just forget about it, uh, or they would just like I don't know, go on build another thing. How did you keep this strength to, to just continue doing it? I think it comes from uh, uh, Amy, from my relationship with Amy's. Uh, through you know a lot of tough times, we ended up uh, building a lot of resilience and strength and support for each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I can't imagine getting through any of that stuff and actually being able to work on anything or being creative uh, without her sort of thing. So I feel like we were able to lean on each other and grow together and grow through the challenges that left us with enough space to actually endeavor through uh, all the challenges right. and get get into the journey. So, yeah, I think having a, a solid partner is, yeah. is how we, we got through it. I guess it's it's a passion that both you and Amy share, and then it's kind of something that you have as part of your relationship as well, right? Like you're, yeah. This is another Big thing time. that you do together, right? So that that's, is, that's right, absolutely, and that that has always been my dream. So that's that's gorgeous. I can't yeah. wait till we actually get revenue here, and we can both just focus on it full time, yeah. sort of thing. So okay, yeah. but that's that's then another question for me. This seems to be one of those products that you could have. Um, raised money for right then and, and by raising money then you could have both of you focus on it full-time even maybe hire someone to help you build the prototype um, did this come to your mind to try to go the VC route um, 
and get some money? Uh, yeah, it has. Um, oftentimes, um, you need patent protection set up um, before investors will give you money. Um, so that was one big factor of it. And without the full, also the full prototype, without, we've had a lot of like setbacks with construction, even after growing some things. And we do have pictures, but for a live video of it actually working and stuff, we're still in the beta production and building and things like that. And uh, I've always been that we have a big startup community here in, in St. John's. Uh, there is investment around and I will probably be seeking uh, out different avenues, but I'm trying to seek out non-dilutive investments, all the methods of that before relying on investors. Uh, right. I'm kind of, I'm kind of weary about investors who just like, need that profit, need that 2x, 5x, 10x, like, yeah, yeah. We, we need growth, because like, you know, we're, we think we have something here that could help people. And it has to be important that this technology becomes available to as many people as possible. Hmm. So I don't really like you see a lot of products now, these alternative agriculture products have like, pods and things like that. And they, you know, do what's called the razor blade method of like, you have to buy refillables and things like that. Right. And you know, they're the profit driven elements of the systems themselves. But we want to try to avoid things like mm -hmm. that and just more so what will be building a sustainable food system first. What you just mentioned, it's a big problem with climate tech nowadays. And I felt the same way with Change It. Uh, we, we really want to improve the, and we really want to fight rapid climate change. That's our main goal, right? And uh, selling somehow, like quote unquote, selling out to to VC, sometimes the idea, at least that we have from VCs, is that like they want that hockey stick growth. You know, they just want to make money, and that yep. doesn't work along with a sustainable business or a sustainable product. Uh, it doesn't work. It just doesn't. You know, like that. That's why we we came to this problem of rapid climate change. It's because of this unsustainable growth that we want from our products, and uh, you know the the classic. The, all the the lobby of the bulbs, right? That they yeah. got together and they say like, okay, <laughs> bulbs can have a duration of multiple years, but let's make it only one year so that we can sell more. You know, that that's exactly yeah. it. So yeah, that's right. Uh, do you do you think that now there's like a new kind of um, new generation of investors that know about this and that will invest in your company, knowing that okay, we want first and foremost help the environment. And then, of course, trying to make some money out of it. But the main metric is the environment and then the money. I've been seeing more uh, entities show up that seem to say that they're climate driven. Um, more firms and funds, they seem to be getting more and more popular. Um, so I need to investigate more of those to see how engaged and plugged in um, those groups might be to, you know, early stage technology builders and creators. But yeah, I'm not quite sure what's out there for that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's tough. It's a big it's a big sea of uh, you know VCs and investors and things like that. And they uh, they need to see, they typically want to see you know traction and things mm -hmm. at uh, at the time that you talk to them, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And did did you already take some time to think about the business plan? Like, how much does it cost for one unit? How much will you make? Uh, is it even sustainable? Like, do you know if you can actually make money out of uh, air farms? Yeah, that's right. So um, that this is one thing where I think we should be, I, I'm aiming for a self-sustaining business model that we can fund ourselves once, it, like say if we had a Kickstarter jump sort of thing, 
or some other kind of fund. But the product we're designing, uh, it, like the value that we can provide, we can earn a profit just off the physical profit or the physical product itself. Right. And then we'll have recurring uh, sales through accessories and nutrients and seeds and accessories and things that you need with it and pest control and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we're, we're hoping to be once, if we get to the first thousand units, we think that should sustain an amount of growth to just keep that growing. Mm -hmm. And then we have, uh, we have a broad horizon of, uh, products that we are going to want to get to in the future as well. Okay. So, okay. uh, we think, you know, any sale of a first unit will have other units in the future that we can resale to those initial customers for the right. growth of different things, say like microgreens, mushrooms and fungi, root vegetables only, plants, mm -hmm. uh, tropical trees, and we're going to really, in cannabis and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a great business. If it's legal now. <laughs> it is. And so I I do have a design done for, because the, the law yeah. here is that you can have four plants in your home. So oh, we, we have, we, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a ton of, of weed to get off yeah. that. So I don't know if the government realized that. So we do have a four plant unit and we're staggering the growth so that you will have perpetual kind of harvest from it sort of That's thing. That's cool. I wanted to focus on food first, but I know that people, you know, people are going to want to grow their own cannabis as mm -hmm. well. But um, yeah, that'll cascade down from initially with the food product that's meant for two to four people. Mm -hmm. And then we're looking for a half size unit for one to two people in condos and small places. Right. And then all the other so cool. ones as well. Yeah. And then we also have big plans for the software side of it where we're going to initially, we're going to eventually have all the units to be connectable and you could see other units and, you know, uh, do a platform that'll enable the exchange of different foods and things like that. Ah. So you'll end up connecting farmers with and, your, yeah, neighbors, and they'll yeah. be able to interact with each other. Because if you got farming, if you got these embedded all throughout communities, you've got just farmers everywhere. Yeah, makes sense. But yeah. you know something that uh, makes me a little bit nervous, Sean, when I when I listen to you speak about that is, you know, what I've been learning and what is taught around this kind of indie hacking uh, community is that you should try to speak with your customers and show an MVP to your customers as fast as possible. Because most of the times, if we take too much time building something and then we show it to the market and we might just like, we, we are making a lot of assumptions. And I think you you just made a lot of assumptions that, that people would like this shareability and they would like to share and maybe they don't. Maybe you're not really solving a problem. So like, is this something that uh, worries you or have you already talked with a lot of potential uh, customers that said, yeah, once you have it, I, I will be the first one buying it. Uh, do, do you get this feedback from uh, potential customers? Yeah, that customer feedback is super, super important because uh, beyond what you believe of uh, the idea, how good it is, you know, it, that doesn't mean it's going to actually sell yeah. out, in the, out in the world. So I find the customer feedback process continuous and long sort of thing throughout the whole thing. So um, at each iteration of the design, we went and did customer feedback interviews um, and use those specifically to think of how we're going to make revisions and what to work on on the unit itself and what features are going to be valuable. So we're continually in that process. We've done that a couple times already through certain variations. And then, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm looking to get uh, beta units now constructed, and that's still going to be the customer feedback process there. So we're going to get those into early customer units. And then, again, 
uh, refine and and revise everything based on that. So customers need to be checked in on all the time if you're going to be going after value that you know they're going to be able to get. Right. And how much does it cost uh, one of these units? Do you know? Already? Be in the realm of say like two to five thousand Canadian dollars. Uh, probably close to like three thousand Canadian dollars. Um, well, I, and I've looked at so the average Canadian spending now. This was this was 2019 pre-COVID was around nine hundred and twenty-four dollars and uh, a year on vegetables, and uh, we're predicting that it'll cost roughly six hundred and thirty dollars or so to run the unit with the seeds, electricity, and nutrients. Um, so compared to buying a grocery, this will be cheaper. Right. And we're hoping that this will pay itself off within the range yeah. of like five years. And every year thereafter, you're saving money and the product that you're eating is just yeah. vastly superior. I think people that will buy your product are not that much worried about uh, savings. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's why I think like 3K is completely fine because what I'm doing yep. is I, I'm worried about the environment. I'm worried about my health uh, and uh, I want to control what I'm eating. And for that, 3K... Uh, and then, of course, if I'm saving money, even better. But like, I wouldn't care that much as long as it's not ex uh, extremely more expensive to run the unit. Uh, I think it's it's an investment that makes total sense. Um, mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, big yeah. time. And it is more so about controlling your food supply. So it's people yeah. who have that at their you know at the top of their mind. But one thing that I, I would assume, uh, because it sounds such a great product, that um, you already have people that say. You know, Sean, once the, the product is done, I will the first one buying it. I If it works, I, I want to buy it and I'll pay 3K for it. Like, do you already have this kind of uh, customers? Yeah, yeah, we have uh, people saying that already. So, yeah, we've had that. <laughs> people, they're so keen on food production that uh, we've had a lot of people throughout the whole development of this throughout the years okay. just really keen on it. it. It seems like more than ever, food is top of mind mm -hmm. and controlling your food and knowing about the food that you're growing. So... Yeah, we've got uh, we've got people that are excited about the solution and okay. uh, and uh, wanting for some uh, updates. So yeah. I can't wait to get the patents filed because then we're going to be yeah. showing a lot. There'll be a lot to reveal. So you recently quit your job as well to focus one hundred percent into finishing the AeroFarm prototypes and, and the yeah, getting launch. it off the ground, taking the plunge. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about this. Like, uh, what changed? From the moment because i guess uh, now you depend on this now this patience that you that you had before kind of disappeared or or not like what what changed yeah that's right it um i i think it ended up just uh, it became such a presence in mind that and such a feeling of like uh yeah i have to work on this i have to do this sort of thing so yeah it uh, yeah, it just ended up, I don't know, it clicked in my mind and said, I, I got to take the plunge sort of thing. And and like I said, Amy's still working full time. So that's not bad. Yeah. She's the breadwinner <laughs> for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you get yeah. nervous? Because when I when I quit my job to focus on my own projects, now I'm get getting used to it, to that. But at first I was like, oh my God, you know, like bye-bye uh, social security, bye-bye, you know, even like having a team and, and going for it and, you know, everything changed and I felt kind of anxious and a lot of pressure. Um, did you also feel anything like that? Yeah, it, building a physical product might be a bit different because like I've been seeing the progression of it and seeing things come together and, uh, you know, you can just stand in front of the thing that you create and even that alone is inspiring to just like, you know, keep going at it sort of thing. So 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So you, you, and when did you quit your job, by the way? A couple months ago now. Okay. So it's yeah. quite, quite recent as well. Yeah, yeah. So definitely a bit of, yeah. is nerve wracking. It yeah. definitely is nerve wracking, but uh, I'm hoping that within a year I can, you know, stand on my own legs sort of thing and get it bringing in some income. But it's, it's, it's definitely going to be a hustle to get to that. So what, what are your, what, what are your next steps then? Like, what are your plans? You said in a year you hope to get some revenue. So until then, like, what do, do you hope to achieve? Yeah, so we'll make the final, we're, we're getting into our final grow trial right now in our prototype unit. And uh, right after that, we're going to build uh, 10 beta customer units and sell those. So um, those will be the early ones that early evangelists will buy into those. And in a then year, help you said, right? Yes, that's right. Yep. So we we are looking to have those constructed by the end of this year and um, kind of out in the field there ne early next year. So okay. we'll, we'll get them using those for a few months and, uh, you know, compile all the customer feedback as we're going and, um, yeah, build from there. We're from the first 10 units. We're going to just work as hard as we can to get to a thousand units. Super exciting, Sean. It, it was really interesting to learn more about uh, your journey building Aero Farms. I'm super excited with the product and I, I'm, I really want to see how the prototype looks like. And I know that you cannot share that yet uh, because you are still in the, in the patent process, so you can cannot make this information public. But um, I'll be I'll definitely share your uh, Twitter. Uh, so what, what social media do you, do you have at the moment? Only Twitter, right? Uh, that would be great. Yeah, we're on Twitter and Facebook right now. Um, and um, soon after the patent stuff is sorted away, we'll be posting some YouTube videos and things like that. So we'll be in the YouTube space as well. Okay. And uh, I, got, I got to get into Instagram as well. But yeah, Twitter is a really good uh, way to connect with us. And um, if anybody's interested in updates and progress, um, we, you can sign up on our website, aerofarms.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll be doing some email blasts as we get some major milestones coming up. So you'll be the first to know about yeah. the latest. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I, I would love to get um, more information about the your journey. You know, you, you seem to be uh a very uh cute couple building these <laughs> things that you know with green technology and i would love to you know just to get more information you know that classic building public so the moment yeah. you get you get that pattern going I, I would love to i would love to learn that more about that and i'll definitely subscribe and uh, yeah your twitter and website will be in the show notes of uh, today's episode and uh, thank you very much for taking the time and speak with the wannabe entrepreneurs it was really a pleasure Thank you so much. Really appreciate the talk. And uh, great. And thanks so much. And good luck with all your stuff as well. Thank you very much. And uh, for the listeners, this was another interview. If you are into indie hacking and bootstrapping, there's a lot of interviews for you. You can just go to wannabe-entrepreneur.com. We also have a community of uh, bootstrappers that you can join. And uh, we are all people from all over the world building our products and helping each other and it's really really fun it's called the wbe space and uh, the links will also be in the description this was another wannabe entrepreneur see you next time <laughs>